This is the Chillinoy Podcast. I got really fucking drunk last night. I smoked a bunch of dope till 5 in the morning. Ended up passing out the sewer pipe. But I still had to get up early this morning because I got responsibles now. Growed up, I got kids. A lot of people say you can't smoke dope and get drunk when you have kids. And that's not true. You can, but you still got to get up in the morning. That's being responsible and being a man. It is currently Monday, June 8th, around 8 p.m. I am Justine from Can of Queens. And I am Cole Preston. I help co-host, co-host the Chillinoy podcast. As I've said in the past, community input is critical to this operation. Your feedback determines the future of this podcast. If you ever have a question that you need answered, a point that you want to share, or if you just want to hear your own thoughts or even voice coming through the airways, go to chillinoy.net slash podcast. And if you scroll down, you can click the Be Heard link. Um, from there, you can... Leave us a voicemail, send us a text message, or just write us an email, um, and we will take your feedback to heart. And today we have a podcast that was inspired by um, just a few members in the community that have just requested you know that we have some more Cannabis Insiders on the podcast. So, Justine? Yeah, so today we are going to be joined by my friend Nick Lemoyne. Um, he and I had previously worked together as Cresco Labs employees, and he actually came down from Chicago to Champaign to help us launch um, the start of legalization uh, January 1st, 2020. So he's a pretty cool guy. I will say, full disclosure, we had to record this um, a little bit differently. We had to go back to the old way for his interview due to some technical issues. So the audio quality is not the best, but, um, you know, we did what we had to do to get you a, a good conversation with the industry insider. Yeah. So let's take a listen to this conversation with Nick Lamoy. If I'd had a role model when I was younger, learning how to grow dope, things would have been a lot smoother. Cause now if some kid wants to grow dope, they can come and talk to me and Instead of growing dope six or seven times through denial and error, then they're going to get it right the first time and have some good dope. So, welcome, Nick. It's good to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Justine. Thanks for having me, Cole. Yeah, of course. Um, so we just want to go ahead and we'll dive right in. Um, we've got some questions for you and. Um, we'll kind of see where it goes. So first things first, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you've done in the cannabis industry, what brought you into the cannabis industry and all that good stuff. Sure. So <clears throat> cannabis has been a part of my life, uh, I would say since I was about 12 years old, since the first time I ever smoked. Uh, and just being in South Florida, I'm originally from Pembroke Pines, Florida. Uh, there's just cannabis was around. It wasn't something that was hidden. Uh, so I was always either around people that were smoking. And then as I got to middle school, I started smoking myself. Uh, just been a lifelong um, consumer of cannabis. And throughout time, you know, high school and college, just consuming on a daily basis and going about normal life. Later on in life, uh, the legalized industry started coming about. And I started looking back at that and like, wow, like I would love to do that. Um, but as I mentioned originally from South Florida, I ended up going to college in Virginia um, and learned about the cannabis uh, market and industry, I guess, out there. Uh, and I started realizing as I traveled from college to back home, 
pot was everywhere. You know, people were smoking weed everywhere. Uh, it wasn't as demonized as we were told it was going to be or as it should be, but it was just simply everywhere. Uh, and it, a lot of people smoked. You know, a lot of people consumed marijuana from teachers, professors. Uh, you could be, you know, your, your lawyer, your next door neighbor. Um, so overall, cannabis has just kind of been a part of my life and it's just been in the shadows for too long. But today we're on the podcast talking about it. Uh, as I'm smoking a joint, you guys are smoking a joint. We can openly say that without uh, fear of, uh, you know, anyone knocking and kicking our door down. Uh, so it's been a pretty cool ride so far. Hell yeah, it's yeah. liberating, man. It's liberating. What are you smoking on? Right now, I'm smoking on a one-to-one. It's called White Harmony. So a CBD one uh, part and then THC one part. Uh, overall, let's see. Let me read the bottle. It is 10% CBD and 9% THC. Nice. We love we our one to ones. <laughs> Hell yeah, we do. We're smoking on some Venom OG, and uh, it's it's delicious. So, um, tell us, uh, you know, I mean this this trajectory, um, this well this career path. Let me say, how did your family feel about your career in cannabis and all of the places that it's taken you? <laughs> now, looking at it, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Now. They thought the gamble that I made and the jump that I made, you know, has paid off. Um, when I first started in, in the industry, the legitimate industry, that is, uh, in Las Vegas, they, they didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, you know, it, it came to a conversation with my mom where she was like, you're just selling weed? Like, what do you do? Walk down the street? Like, she couldn't put it in her <laughs> mind that, you know, this was a retail store with security sure. guards, cameras, things like that. Uh, and it didn't take uh, too long for her to realize, you know, from watching my Instagram stories or, you know, from the pictures I sent her that this was a legitimate, structured, regulated industry. This wasn't just, you know, driving around with drugs in the back of your car and just trying to figure out who wants them. Uh, you know, and I showed her, you know, I was getting a paycheck. I was a W-2 employee. Um, I was paying taxes, which, by the way, the cannabis industry pays more taxes than pretty much almost any other industry, around 30% overall. Wow. And uh, they they were supportive. Um, they're, my parents are, just to kind of give you a background, they're ex-military, um, ex-army, uh, 20 years, both of them. And they, um, they, they just never consumed marijuana, never been around it. Just they're, I would say they're kind of straight edge squares. Uh, so it's kind of funny that they're like, wait a minute, you know, you're in this industry. And over time, they watch the news, they keep seeing about the, the industry growing and growing. And they would ask me, is like, is this what you're doing? I'm like, exactly. This is exactly what I'm doing. You know, we have farms and extraction labs and security guards. You know, it's a legitimate industry. So I think for the people on the outside um, that don't understand the cannabis industry yet, they still believe that it's just drug dealing. But the news has done a good job of uh, covering the launch of recreational Illinois and the launch of recreational every other state, you know, showing that people are in line to walk into a store that are, you know, they're checking their IDs. Um, it's just all about legitimizing this industry. And that will basically allow people to jump in the industry without fear or concern of judgment from their family. Yeah. I think that's funny that um, what it took for your, like, uh, some of the things that it took for your family, they like, so at first you tell them, you know, I'm working in the cannabis industry and they're like, Oh my God, you know, they have this whole image in their head, this, this image that's not even close to reality. Right. Because it's not, not, even close. It's not you know, and it's not too much of, of a fault on their own. It's uh, kind of the generation maybe that they grew up in, you know, and 
and the rhetoric that was thrown around during that generation. Like you said, they were military, so it's not like that's a very cannabis-friendly environment by any means. Um, so, but I just think it's interesting that the traje- like the uh, transition of acceptance where they were like they had this crazy image in their head of like what you were doing compared to what you're actually doing. And one of the things that grounded them was seeing like a W two. They're like, oh, you there's there's a piece of paper like this is this is legit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just think that's kind of funny that um, they totally thought they had this image like you were dealing out of the back of a van, but really you're dealing out of like a boutique cannabis shop. Um, Precisely. And you've worked in. Yeah. Yeah, you've worked in multiple states, right? Correct. Yeah, I've been around, uh, I can say, the country now, um, working in the cannabis industry. So I've I've worked this uh, industry, I believe, in seven, eight states now. Wow. So with being in those other markets, um, what what has your experience been and what kind of positions were you holding while you were in those other markets? Sure. So I'll, I'll kind of give you the timeline of how it worked out for me. Um, I joined the industry in Las Vegas uh, while it was still medical. Uh, so this was in early 2017. And I joined the industry by working at a dispensary called Las Vegas Relief. It's on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, it's on Sahara and Paradise, the actual intersection. Uh, so that, that was my first step into the industry as a dispensary agent, as we called it in, in Las Vegas. Uh, and I was just behind the, the, the counter being a butt tender, you know, doing what I love to do, which was sell weed and educate people. Uh, from there, they put a, the company I was working for put a position out for the purchaser so that we can always make sure that we're getting good product and making sure that we, were, had, we had good relationships with the growers and just transacting and making sure that we had product on our shelves. So I applied for that position and it took a couple of weeks and I got that position at Las Vegas Relief and the position expanded to cover the purchasing for their cultivation facility, which was being built at the time, as well as the extraction facility and the kitchen in which we produce edibles out of. Uh, so I was responsible for not only stocking the store, but buying the raw materials that went into the chocolate bars that we made, the, the drinks uh, that we made as well, as well as the packaging and everything else that goes along that. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. Uh, a lot of people don't see that from the outside, but just buying the cocoa powder, which is going to be made into a chocolate bar, is pretty intense. Sure. You know, buying 50-gallon drums of ethanol so that you can extract hundreds and hundreds of pounds of trim and uh, byproduct to get byproduct for. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, and from that, that's from that position, yeah, it's 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 pretty intense because the 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 scale that you're working with is a lot bigger. You're not selling you know a quarter or an ounce. I mean, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Like it's it's pretty intense. Um, but from there, I, I joined another uh, firm in Las Vegas uh, in which uh, it was a cultivation facility in which I used to purchase the marijuana from for the store. Uh, and the director of sales at the time left and there was a vacancy. And just naturally, uh, from my previous experience in cannabis, I was a salesperson. Uh, so I wanted to take a jump and see if I could make you know, legitimate money in this industry, uh, you know, commission-based doing sales. And I, I did pretty well at that. I was with this company called Kiff Cannabis, K-I-F-F. I'm not sure if they're still in business in Las Vegas anymore, but I do know the license uh, is still there. And I was the director of sales and marketing. Uh, I would say it was um, a 20, 22,000 square foot facility, about 19,000 square foot canopy. We were extracting with ethanol, uh, no butane extraction there, uh, pure ethanol extraction in which <clears throat> we just uh, distilled it 
uh, and use the, you know, the machines for the roadmaps and things like that. Uh, and then we would toy with the terpenes and such. But anyways, uh, I was the director of sales for this selling flower pens, no edibles, um, vape cartridges, things like that. Uh, and from there, from Las Vegas, I was actually had an opportunity to move to California. And as you and I both know, and anyone listening, uh, California is known as the Holy Grail. Uh, so I took the opportunity to move yeah. to California. And in California, I worked for what is the largest cannabis testing lab in the world. Uh, their, their license name is CSA Labs, or CannaSafe is their, their DBA or doing business as. Uh, so if you look up CannaSafe, you would find that information. Great company, great leadership. Uh, the two guys there, Aaron and Antonio, loved them to death. And I became their Northern California sales rep. Uh, this company is based out of LA and Van Nuys, to be exact. And they were looking to expand in Northern California. And I was one of two sales reps at the time. And uh, we basically had the opportunity to drive up the Humboldt all the way down to King City, California, the entire Bay Area. I was based in Oakland at the time. Uh, so I, I got to see what actual cannabis looked like, you know, driving through the Redwoods wow. of Humboldt on Mendocino and Trinity County, all the way uh, down to Salinas, California, where there's massive cultivation facilities down in Greenfield as well. Uh, so I, what I sold, year was I, this? This was 2008, 19, I believe. Wow. Yes, yeah, so this was this was my most recent position prior to the, the Cresco Labs position in which I worked with Justine. Um, but being in California and being on the inside of the industry, it opened my eyes to so many things. Um, one, it was great to be around so many people that were for the culture and that were for the industry. And this wasn't just a money grab for them. This was something that they've been doing since the 60s and 70s. I mean, the true California renegade. And I've seen these guys. I've smoked with them. I've gone to their farms. It's, it was a great experience. Um, and basically my job, literally my job in California was to test marijuana. Uh, so I would sell the testing services and then collect the samples and we would ship it off to LA and the lab would test it. So I, I was a professional cannabis tester. <laughs> wow. What a dream job. And then for scale, just for people listening, how old are you, Nick? I'm 30. Okay. All right. Nice. So you've done a lot in through your 20s. That's that's amazing. Right. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was, it's been a good experience. And ultimately, what I wanted to do when I made the jump into the cannabis industry was I wanted to take my experience from the West Coast and always head back out east, which brought me out to Chicago. Um, the company Justine and I worked for, Cresco Labs, reached out to me, and they were looking for someone to do the purchasing for their dispensaries. And uh, I had previous experience doing that in Las Vegas. And as well, I've had, I have experience in other assets of the, the, the industry. And uh, you know, just a good conversation, and we kicked it off. Uh, had an interview, and packed my bags, and moved to Chicago. <laughs> Do you wow. regret it? So this was no regrets at all. No regrets. Nice. I, I'm <laughs> standing here in Chicago right now and absolutely love it. I love Illinois. Uh, I've been able to travel, as Justine mentioned earlier. I, I was able to launch recreational down there in Champaign and downstate. And it's just it's a great state. I love Illinois. It gets cold, though. Very cold. That it does that it does um so when when did you move to chicago if you don't mind me asking just, I'm sure. just trying to trying to yeah. keep track of the timeline 
the Chicago move happened in August 2019. Um, the conversation for me to work with uh, Cresco Labs started around May or June. Uh, the problem with the, the initial part of the conversation is when they reached out to me, they, they Illinois was a medical only state. There was no right. That's what that's what I was asking. Signed. Yeah, there was no legislation signed by the governor Pritzker uh, to to move forward with recreational adult use marijuana. So my very pushback to the company that we uh, Justine and I work for was, why would I leave California, the literal mecca? of marijuana to go to a state in which I have to now hide and uh, not be open about the medicine that I choose. And that was the, the, the very initial conversation. A couple of weeks later, J.D. Pritzker signs the bill. You know, they're going to go ahead and move forward with January 1st, 2020. The recruiter uh, from Cresco Labs calls me and says, did you see the news? I said, absolutely. So then we deepened the conversation. And then within a week or two, we agreed uh, on a compensation and signed papers and I moved out to Chicago. Nice, nice. So how, like, tell me about that. I mean, I know, um, I know it's, it, it was basically par for the course at that point, but I feel like Illinois is just a weird market. So t tell me about like some maybe immediate differences you noticed and uh, sure. just tell me about um, like how, yeah, the transition was. Sure. So, yeah. Living in California, and especially in the Bay Area and being in the northern part of California, marijuana is very open. It's a, it's a very nonchalant conversation. You know, there's been many of times in which I've been in the backyard at a barbecue and the adults are sitting on chairs, we're smoking joints, and the kids are out in the yard playing. That's something that I don't think Illinois is ready for yet. Uh, it's still a kind of a nighttime, do it in the shadows type of deal in which California celebrates it and you can openly smoke in the park at sanctioned events and festivals. Uh, so that was the big transition yeah. for me. Um, consuming at work was another thing. Um, it, just to be straightforward, you know, most people in California consume at work, you know, openly. They don't hide it. In Illinois, you know, I had to walk out, go out across the street, a couple blocks down, just so I could hit my, my vape pen or take a dab or something like that. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And you know, you're not you're not even exaggerating at all when you say that we have to do it in the shadows. I mean, I think the exact uh, language of the law. One of the rap, one of the most recent episodes that we did was about our our listeners frequently ask questions, and so some of the people out of the community. And one of the questions that they have often is, you know, like, where can I smoke? You know, uh, and it's crazy because there's not really a solid answer. Um, you know, some cities. Like Chicago, for example, Mayor Lightfoot, so she's permitted that you can smoke on your porch or on your deck of your house or, I guess, apartment. If you, of course, have a, if it's in the context of an apartment, you have to have approval from your landlord or whatever. But um, it's, so it varies from city to city, really, in the, the state. And some cities have even opt, uh, adopted ordinances that, uh, you know, uh, fine people. It's just a civil fine, you know, kind of like a public intoxication of drinking uh, right. for smoking. But it's crazy because I think, I don't know, you know, we've got to see precedent still, but in some of these towns, they're basically telling you, you got to smoke inside, out of public view. And that's actually what I was going to say earlier is kind of verbatim out of the law is, is that you have to use out of public view and it's weird because in that same law they also allowed for public consumption lounges so like if i 
if I can't use in public, but I can also use in public, can I use in public? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, right. I'm yeah. trying to make a joke about, but it's just crazy to hear really the dynamic or the, the huge difference or the contrast uh, between California and Illinois. I mean, I assume there's like smoke lounges in California and Vegas and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, there's, there are smoke lounges in California um, in particular, two of them in San Francisco in which I used to frequent was uh, Mo Greens and uh, Barberry Coast. And if you and anyone that's listening, if you have the opportunity and you want to see what your dream of marijuana consumption could be, I would recommend going to San Francisco and checking out those two lounges. I mean, it, it looks like a 1940s, 50s smokers bar, leather chairs, nice lighting, nice people. You know, it's not barbed wires and and rebar everywhere and it, it, it's classy it's it, it's what it should be and what it's supposed to be and uh it's a great experience to go out there and <laughs> it's funny that they give you a rolling tray on the rolling tray when you take your seat there's a grinder ashtray matches lighter wick anything that you need to smoke it's right there it's, it's amazing can you buy weed there absolutely so they encourage and i think uh, I may be wrong on this, but you have to consume what you bought in the store. So you can only okay, buy in the store sense. and consume there. So there's no, I don't think you can walk in with outside marijuana um, and smoke there. Uh, but I'm not too sure about that. Uh, every time I went, I would just purchase something and uh, just roll it right there and smoke it. They have TVs playing, Sports Center. You know, it's it's pretty cool. That sounds like a most excellent challenge see how many grams you can get get going oh you can do it too and and when i was leaving california this is when i believe mo greens was building their dab bar uh and they have an actual dab bar like you walk up to a person who's behind a bar and they set up the dab for you and everything so i don't know how that's going to run post-covid obviously we're in a different world now um but yeah it was just like that like you know that and sometimes the vendors would come and there would be like sample days, you know, it just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it would be what I believe the intentions of the regulators and the legislators to create something that was taxed and regulated like alcohol. And it was no different than a bar. Imagine walking into your local, your local dive bar or pub and all the alcohol is actually marijuana and the people were, the, were sitting the same way. There was tea. It was the same exact situation, just marijuana, no alcohol, no tobacco. That's amazing. Wow. I have had yeah, the pleasure crazy. of experiencing a dab bar at an event in Chicago. Um, it was one of those underground, bring your own weed, we'll sell you backwoods kind of things. Um, and I can tell you that that makes you feel a certain type of way. Like that is service. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it is. The, 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 we did a tour once in Colorado um, of uh, the Green Solution. I believe we went to a few, uh, or, or sorry, we went to, yeah, we went to MedMen. And we also went to a few other shops, I think House of Dank and oh, maybe one of my favorites. One. Yeah, it was. Oh my god, their their ghost train haze smelled insane. (laughs) I can't even like I dream about it. (laughs) That's funny that you say that. So ghost train haze. I'm I personally am an indica person, uh, but I if I do go on the side, ghost train haze is one of my favorite ones. 
when I was in Denver on my trip, which I drove from California to Chicago when I moved here, uh, I stopped in Denver and we went to the House of Dank and they had a tangy train haze and it was some of the most like limonene. Oh man, it was just amazing. It tasted like an orange, like like you were eating a tangerine. I bet that smelled like very citrusy. Yeah, it did. It did. It was amazing. <laughs> That's the thing about some of the products out in Colorado, and and I have not gone to California, so you can you can maybe chime in. But at least in my experience, when I've gone to Colorado, oops, it depends on the you know place you go to and the grower, of course. But it, in certain instances, when somebody says it's like a banana strawberry or whatever, you know, a, a citrus, uh, you know, like a tangy, um, or there's the orange marijuana is another one that I really like. It really does smell like oranges or like I said, that there was a one that I saw, um, I believe it's, uh, what, what was it called in Boulder? Um, 49ers, I think, or what is it called? Justine? I, I think that you're right. It was something like that. I don't, I don't remember. Thirteeners. Thirteeners. There it it's is. something yeah, to do yeah. with the miles. It's something to do with the mountains, I mean to say. Um, like, I think they're like 13,000 feet or something like that. But um, we were high as fuck in multiple ways. <laughs> Anyways, um, they, they had like a banana strawberry strain. I know I'm going on a really long rant, but the point point is is it really smelled like banana and then uh, strawberry. And you just don't see that a lot in Illinois. Um, I, I mean, there's some strains that stand out that are really good and consistent. Um, orange marijuana is one that, is, that I have found that's pretty consistent in Illinois. It actually smells like oranges, and um, it's the CBD strain. I, I don't know if it's one-to-one. I think it not might be quite. one not It's quite. like two parts, two parts THC to one part CBD usually. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. That's a that's a real like front runner I've seen in Illinois. But what do you, what do you think the difference is, Nick? Like, what is it? Just the maturity of the markets, maybe, or the the maybe I, the fact that there are more licenses active, so these growers can really stand out as like you know, if they hire the right people, they can really stand out and grow a nice product. I just feel like in Illinois, the there's something about the product that, well, first of all, it's all closed, which we can get into, you know, why that sucks. But, um, yeah, what do you think the difference is that I'm seeing, or am I crazy? (laughs) No, it's funny that you bring that up, uh, because that's something, that's one of the very few questions that I haven't received an answer to yet in my experience with cannabis. And I I don't know why there is such a difference in quality, uh, because, if we're growing indoors, we control the environment, we control everything, the water, the temperature, the humidity, everything we want to do. How can you not get that strawberry banana or that, you know, tangy where you smell it and it's like, whoa. So it makes me think here in Illinois um, that it may be, you know, the maturity of the market. But also what I see is I see a lot of construction with the cultivators here on, in their farms. So I think when they're post-construction phase, which we're talking maybe a year or two, when everyone's done doing their expansion to whatever the Illinois limit is, um, they'll be able to actually focus on growing the plant versus growing the facility. (laughs) That's actually pretty good for sure. (laughs) Uh, But that's what I... Yeah, that is beautiful. (laughs) That is is what I think is holding Illinois back a little bit. Um, But I have seen, you know, uh, cultivators here come up with some fire, you know, like I said, the White Harmony and 
and I've worked with a couple oh, of creators sure. in which I've, you know, smelt the flower and I'm like, damn, like this is this is some Jack. Like this is Jack Herrera. Like this is for sure. I can close my eyes and tell that this is it. I don't have to read the label. And they do a lot of uh, Pineapple Express here when I first got here. That that was pretty good. Um, but it's funny because Pineapple Express was popular here when that was like the shit four, five, six years ago, you know, on the West Coast. So that's, <laughs> yeah. It, immediately when I moved here, I was like, you guys are still smoking this? I'm like, okay, it's good, but, you know, that's not the best sativa out there, you know, and Durban Poison was we another one. We still love the movie up here, Nick. That's right. what it is. We're just still <laughs> on that high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's, it was a huge strain in uh, Las Vegas, you know, three years ago, and then it died off and other sativas kind of took over. Um, but it was like the biggest thing as soon as I moved here. Everyone was on uh, Pineapple Express and Bio Jesus. Yeah, I think those were so, like Cresco's two top strains at the time. Yeah, so one of my thoughts definitely is like you said, the maturity. And I also think that it might just be that there's just, you know, if you think about it, there's only about like 20 about 20 cultivators running in the market right now so and like you said they're all expanding so maybe they're i really like what you said earlier maybe focusing on growing the the facility instead of the plant you know they're trying to plant yeah. the side right now um but uh i think that, that maybe that's another contributing factor but um so what are what's one of the reasons that you and initially decided to work in the industry was it i mean it sounds like it was because it was a pretty fundamental part of your life you know but um was there any other reasons that you decided to get into the cannabis industry yeah i mean really it was my opportunity and what i believe my once in a lifetime opportunity to to never go to work again in my life uh prior to cannabis i was in finance i was doing mortgages i was a mortgage loan officer and as I mentioned, I was in sales. Um, I liked it. It paid well, but I was going to work. You know, I was actually waking up and like, oh, shit, I got to fucking get ready and do this. You yeah. know, I, I start. I had that feeling too many times. And I'm like, this can't be life. This can't be the next 30 to 50 years of my life. Like, I refuse to, to have that feeling and, and, and leave work at the end of the day and be angry. Like, I, I did not simply want to do that for the rest of my life. So, you know, I... I I wanted to find something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I tried other things, you know, I played football, stuff like that. You know, I didn't make it to the NFL. wasn't good enough for that. <clears throat> and that would have been, I, I would say at the time, my dream. But then the cannabis industry started popping up and I'm like, holy shit. Like if I could do that, I would be happy as hell. So it just so happened oh, yeah. um, that I moved to Las Vegas by way of the job that I had prior to cannabis and so they gave me an opportunity they had a, a small office in Las Vegas and that was when I believe Brian Sandoval was the governor of, of Nevada he signed in it into legislation um, the opening of adult use market and as soon as that happened I put in my request to move to Las Vegas and they approved it and I was like holy shit like this is going so I moved to Las Vegas I was still in mortgages for about four to five months and then I went out for my resume and got a job as a bud tender, started on the bottom, uh, you know, the ground floor of the industry. It, it was the best experience of my life. Uh, just doing what I love, selling weed, you know, helping people out. It was great. I, I really love that mentality because I know exactly how you feel where, um, 
you know, if you are really passionate about the cannabis industry, any other job feels like a job. It feels like work. And uh, when you're in that cannabis industry, it's just, it's a labor of love. It's, it's all passion. It, it doesn't feel the same way as just any other nine to five. Correct. Yeah. And a beautiful part about it. And what I observed was even though I left an office job, the office and cannabis, like they collided. Like what I mean by that right. is I, I've been handed PowerPoints. Like Justine, you and I went over a binder a binder, a three ring mm-hmm. binder with rules and regulations and inventory. Like we were keeping track of stuff by serial numbers and computers and, you know, notes. Yep. Like when you were selling weed, you know, on the illicit market, you weren't keeping a ledger and <laughs> shit like that. You know, you weren't <laughs> keeping serial numbers and, you know, metric numbers. Like it's just, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to apply your skills from work to something that you love and watch it build. You're, you're in there, you're in the mud building. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, to see it to come above the shadows is something really cool. It's just cool yeah. to see it become like official and have that tracking system, you know, seed to sale and the whole routine. Um, yeah, it's and, and it's official is a good word to use, um, you know, because I it's it's like I've, I've met mayors, Mayor Goodman in Las Vegas and governors, Governor Sandoval you know, in Nevada, like through marijuana, outside of marijuana, I would have never shook the hand of the governor. I would have never had the opportunity to be in front of the mayor. But these these officials are interested and in looking to grow this industry. That's, yeah, that's amazing. You wouldn't think that it would take selling weed before you were meeting government officials. <laughs> Before you used to run away from those people, and now you're yeah, like, yeah, right. absolutely, I'll talk to you about marijuana. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, Cole, do you have any other questions for Nick? Um, yeah, can, Nick, can you tell us a cool story about working in the cannabis industry, like something in- interesting or life-changing? Any cool stories? Sure. So this is one I bring up all the time. And this is when I realized we were doing the work for the people. We were helping, actually helping people out. And it was a couple of weeks into my time being a bartender. Again, my favorite time uh, in the cannabis industry. Uh, and this lady walks in and she was a repeat customer. At the time, I didn't know her because I was the new guy and everyone else in here. I forget what her name was, we'll just call her Mary. So she walks in, everyone's like, hey, Mary, hi, you know, this and that. I'm like, hey, Mary, I'll help you out. So she walked up to me, and the display that we had was a glass display so that you can see into it, and you can see all the display product. So her and I are interacting over this display. And she walks up to the display with a fanny pack on, unzips the fanny pack, and she just flips it open and throws, like, probably legitimately 15 pill bottles on the, on the counter. And they're just going everywhere. So I have to put my hand out, and I'm like, what the hell is this lady doing? Like, what's going on? She's like, I don't want to take any more of this shit anymore. This is my doctor's prescriptions. This is what he's trying to get me to take. She goes, I trust you more than I trust him. And I'm like, what? Like, I look at her, and I'm like, ma'am, like, I'm getting paid $14 an hour to do this job. I am not a doctor. And she goes, I don't care. You know, plants over pills. I believe in this more than I believe in these. And I, I was just like, wow. And I believe she had 
you know, multiple stages of cancer. And I mean, she, she looked frail and unhealthy, um, but you could tell when we started talking about strains and consumption methods, she was just happy. And that's what made me was like, wow, like this is more than just a job. You know, this is more than just a paycheck. Like we're changing lives. And 15 years ago, she was probably, you know, taking those pills, never thought of taking cannabis as medicine. And now she's throwing away pills and buying joints and dabs and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely a very rewarding uh, feeling to watch your patients get to replace their prescription medications with something that's all natural. And, you know, that's one of those moments um, where you realize that you're not just selling weed, you know, like you're actually doing something very, very important for a lot of people. So it's, it's an awesome experience. I'm glad that you got to have that. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I do truly believe this is medicine and it's, it's saving lives. Um, you know, the less people take opioids and prescription drugs, the less overdoses we have. Not one Absolutely. reported fatal overdose of marijuana in the history of mankind. Yeah, well, as Willie Nelson says, um, the only guy he's known uh, that's died from marijuana was when a bale of it fell fell on him. Um, so, uh, I've never heard of that one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So um, I had I had one more question for you, um, and this one we kind of touched on it throughout this whole interview, but it, I just love asking this question. Um, I guess in multiple ways. Um, so can you tell us some other differences about how, and I'm also just obsessed with the cannabis market, the different cannabis markets. So I'm asking this question maybe a little bit for myself. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the differences in the cannabis markets that you've been in? And I just want to highlight a few that I've seen to maybe spur some thoughts for you. Right. So we have no open product in the state of Illinois. Um, if you, if you're a medical patient, you have to register at a store before you go to the store. Um, and now that's changed to where it, it, it only takes about an hour for the registration to go through, but, um, you still have to do it. And it's still difficult for people, especially older patients that don't know how to use, um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. They don't know how to use technology, um, as well. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard for them. And here's the other thing. The state doesn't necessarily have a great IT support staff, so it's like, you know, uh, it, it's really, um, it, it's hard on the patients. And so those are a few big differences I see in the market. Um, but do, are there any others that, that's, that I'm spurring thoughts on? Like, um, I don't know. I Sure, you uh, know, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. So, um I'll speak on one from Illinois. Uh, when I first moved here, I heard stories of, which I never got to actually witness, um, which was in the very beginning of the, uh, the program, I understand that they were fingerprinting patients. Uh, that's, to me, when I heard that, I don't understand what the thought was going into that. I'm glad that they don't do that anymore. Um, but you don't need a fingerprint to buy a bottle of whiskey. Uh, you don't need a, I don't even think you need a fingerprint to buy a firearm. Um, either a rifle or something uh just it, it was interesting to hear that uh just because the west coast as i mentioned earlier um marijuana is not as shunned upon it's not in the uh, the shadows as it is here in the midwest and on the east coast um so fingerprinting i 
big no-no. <laughs> that was a bad decision. Nick, do you want to know? Do you want to know the most appalling thing about that fingerprinting? Please tell me, because I've heard stories, but I, I don't know too much about it. I think that personally, the most appalling thing about having to get fingerprinted for my medical card was the fact that it cost me sixty dollars to get fingerprinted. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So that yeah. that was that was definitely one here in Illinois that literally blew my mind. Uh, I I couldn't understand uh, the thought behind that. But the other one um, was coming from Las Vegas uh, in the Nevada market to California. Um, the sizes of lots in which you have to record are much much larger. Um, I don't know if this still stands in in Nevada, uh, but the largest lot size that you can have a unique identifier. So basically one serial number to a lot of marijuana, which would be up to 15 pounds for like trim and, and like bee buds and stuff like that. Um, and then I moved to California and it was 50 pounds was the limit. And I was just blown away by that. Cause I'm like, man, like they are growing way more weed out here than they are <laughs> anywhere else. Like, holy shit, like a 50 pound lot number and these people at the facilities carry hundreds of lot numbers so you know up to 50 pounds and 100 numbers like it's it's just a lot like i've i've been in rooms with literal thousands and thousands and thousands of of pounds of marijuana i myself am responsible for the sale of i would say plus five thousand plus six thousand pounds of marijuana from the wholesale side as well as the dispensary side um, I've helped with deals. I mean, I've sold hundreds of pounds to one facility for extraction. Uh, not all A buds, dispensary grade, you know, big fat nugs, but you know, the, the other stuff that doesn't make it into the jars. But right. yeah, that, that's those, all the money you made in the, that's all the money you made in the illegal market and the money you made in the, le- I'm just joking. No, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was in the, when I was in the illicit market selling, I've never personally sold pounds and pounds. Like I was, you know, I just knew people and, you know, I would at most carry a couple ounces on me and have, have it on me. And I would never sell like, you know, in the small quantities, but you know, that was back in high school, college days. Um, so it's, here's a funny, a funny thought of that too. That's to say that, um, I always tell people when I listen to, to rap music, cause I'm a, I'm a big music person. And when I listen to hip hop or rap and I hear some of my favorite rappers talking about they sell X amount of pounds. Oh, I sold 50 pounds, 20 pounds. And I think about it. I'm like, shit, I would get fired from my job if I sold that little amount of marijuana. Like <laughs> my cool <laughs> was like 105 pounds a week. Like we had to move this shit. Like, I think about it. You're like, wow, like we're actual, you know, selling cannabis at a commercial level. It's amazing. Another difference I can think of the uh like in illinois that we're limited to 100 milligrams on edibles is that crazy to you no because that that became the case um almost i think in every market uh for the recreation on the rex on the rex right yeah but on med do you agree that it's outrageous that we're limited to 100 milligrams on the med side yes i do i i would say that you know a 500 milligram bar is needed uh for med patients um, you know, RSO can go up to a thousand milligrams. Um, but yes, I do believe with the med patients, uh, having a cap of hundred milligrams that they, it, it's, it's not the right move. Um, there should be bigger edibles available. Well, one of the things I posted on Reddit, uh, was that you can get 800 milligrams of edibles, um, 
you know, 100 milligram packs and 10 milligram servings, you can get 800 milligrams for $80 on the recreational side in Colorado versus 200 milligrams on the medical side in Illinois. Oh, yeah. And I follow that 100% because the prices here are high. Um, the, the dispensaries here in Illinois do charge more than some other states, but I believe that just comes with maturity of the market. Um, For sure. As we spoke about earlier, people are cons- are still under construction on their facilities, so they're not at max capacity yet. So we're in a limited supply market. So just you know, natural economics, low uh, low supply, high demand prices are going to be high up. demand. Yeah, yeah. But I believe that's going to change. Um, you know, I, that's going to change very quickly uh, once more product is going to be out in the market, and there's going to be more competition, which is good. Uh, you know normal people like you and I will be able to potentially be facility owners and license holders and you know, legitimate business people in cannabis. Um, but that day is to come very soon. Yeah. And they actually just released, uh, I believe it's going to have to come out through emergency ruling since the session is over, but they uh, released some rules on what a tiebreaker would look like for the awarding of social equity licenses. So um, I believe it's just like a slight amendment because the ruling had like expired and they're supposed to vote on it in session. So mm-hmm. they've since released these rules as emergency rules, which is something you can do, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's not, I've, I've heard of it before, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything about politics, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, it's a thing that, you know, they considered essential. And I agree um, because, you know, these social equity candidates, the announcement has been pushed back um, once at least. So, or delayed rather. Um, yeah. And so, May 1st was the, of the date, I believe, they were expecting the announcement. Right. And so it, it's just it's sad. We had Mike Malcolm on and, uh, you know, he's spent, spinning it positively. It's just that, you know, it's just taken, it'll just take a little bit more time. And of course, this pandemic's going on right now. So it's a little bit of a, it, we're in a very interesting situation. And, you know, um, it's funny. I was just thinking back the other day when I was like in high school. And I, I remember when I was in high school in Colorado, uh, this is going to make some people feel old. But uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, Colorado um, legalized it. And um basically what are some things that you look forward to um in this industry obviously we're anticipating licenses um i'll just be candid one of the things that i was just saying i edited it out because i fucking lost my train of thought it's the one of the downsides of smoking during these podcasts but what are some things you look forward to obviously the maturity of this market um and supply meeting demand um is there anything else you're looking forward to particular yeah. in this market yeah and, and it's it's in the uh legislature right now uh, with congress i believe uh but banking for cannabis um it has to happen uh, we as i mentioned we pay more taxes uh than most businesses out there and this is now becoming you know hundreds and hundreds of million dollar markets per state uh so when they speak about the sales of cannabis companies, when they release earnings, if you look at stocks or stuff like that, most of these facilities deal in cash. Um, I believe, you know, one, that the patient should be able to come to the store, swipe a debit card, and make this purchase uh, and transaction that way. 
uh, versus having to deal with cash. And I understand that there are, you know, places that do accept accept debit, but just I'm talking blanket nation, nationwide. Uh, that that should and needs to happen. Um, also, if I can buy alcohol with my American Express, Discover, MasterCard, Visa, any credit card, I should be able to do the same with cannabis uh, if we're taxing it and regulating it uh, as, as we do alcohol. And then on the broader scale of that would be the access to capital for companies. Um, so if you start a cannabis company, let's say you do uh, receive a license in the next couple of months when Illinois announces, the only way for you to raise money to, to get money to build your actual grow house and hire employees and, and buy that BHO machine, which, I mean, we're speaking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then the security uh, alone for the facilities is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, the only way you can access money right now would be through a private equity or investors. You can't go to your Bank of America Chase or whoever you bank with and say, I own a cannabis company. I want to borrow $100,000. They're going to look at you and be like, eh, out the door, buddy. Like, we don't deal with you. So and I mean, just correct me, overall correct me if I'm wrong, you can't even go to a bank, right? You can't even go to a bank to deposit your check. Here's a good story. A yeah, here's a good story for that one. So when I was, uh, I, 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 I had a, a large bank um, when I was in, in Las Vegas, and then I transferred to another large bank. So I went from BOA to Chase. And in the process of me applying for the Chase uh, checking account, they asked for your employer name. And the employer name was, I don't remember the exact name, but it was something, something gardens. Uh, and the person asked, they were like, what kind of, what do they grow? Because we can't accept cannabis companies. Uh, and I was like, we, we grow artichokes and, and cucumbers. <laughs> but she was like, okay, good. Because if you told me that you worked for a cannabis company, I wouldn't, I couldn't legally be allowed to open this account for you. And I was like, holy shit, like, damn, like, it even affects your personal bank account. So mm -hmm. I've heard of many stories of companies having their bank account closed, as well as in, uh, individual employees getting their bank account closed. Uh, because, like I said, the license name might say, you know, High Times Farms or, you know, Green Gardens and something along the lines where the bank you know, raises a red flag and they say, this is a cannabis company. And by federal law, because it's still Schedule 1 drug, they cannot deal with any cannabis company in any way, shape, or form. Um, that's changing little by little, uh, but really that, that was a eye-opener for me um, that I almost was denied a bank account because I worked for a cannabis company. Or, I mean, wink, wink, a cucumber and artichoke company. <laughs> I know my bank sent out a couple of notices when I started working at the dispensary saying that they would not open accounts or allow loans for any money coming from the cannabis industry. So I had to yeah. switch. It's, it's amazing. It, it blows my mind. Um, but yeah, so, once that changes, I think the cannabis industry is going to be in a good shape. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Banking's got to happen. And one of the things that I hope will happen, um, we'll see, I guess though, I was reading that, um, the banking legislation was wrapped into a coronavirus, like um, a coronavirus bill of some sort. And yeah, the release basically, package, yeah. Correct. And I mean, I think that it would, I mean, it would provide, it, that would be a way that it would provide the cannabis com uh, industry some relief. Hey, through the power of, I don't know, I figured out what I was saying earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, when I looked, when I was looking into 
cannabis being legalized back when I was in high school. Um, uh, I just thought it was crazy, and I couldn't wait for the day that ha- that it happened in Illinois. And it just it kept happening at a turtle's pace, you know, just nothing would happen. We finally got the medical program in 2014. Um, but it was super limited and like nobody really, I felt like nobody really could get access and basically had to be dying. And I, around that time, I basically just said, you know, the world is going to end when we legalize it. And little did I know, um, a pandemic would happen, uh, (laughs) shortly thereafter. Um, so that I wrapping it back around to, uh, that Mike was able to spend it, spin it positively. He's just saying, you know, the delay is what it is um you know the process will shake out how it shakes out and when you know when the announcement happens maybe maybe the announcement's gonna happen right around you know of course they've still got inspections and stuff to do so that's what sucks about the delay is that it pushes all those things back but like i say um we try to spin it positively so maybe when that announcement happens for these candidates maybe that's around the time that this country's coming back to a a place of normalcy and um, maybe we'll see this market come to fruition um, like you're talking about, Nick, and in the places that you've seen where it's literally like the things like you say we dream about. I hope that that's where we're headed here in Illinois. And I have good faith that that's where we're headed, especially with some of the provisions that we are trying to do with um, righting some of the wrongs in our past with with, you know, allowing social equity candidates uh, such a high chance of getting a license you know, in this new new industry. Like I said, there's only like 50 stores and 20 cultivators. So the fact that social equity cl- uh, candidates get a chance at the first 75 license licenses, I, I really hope that that gives them a leg up in this new industry. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Nick, is there anything else that you wanted to cover before uh, before we close? Anything else in particular? I just want to thank you guys for the time. Um, you know, as, if I can contribute in any other way, uh, you know, thank everyone for listening. Uh, you know, just be safe in these crazy times right now. Make sure, you know, you're you're smoking something that you know where it came from. Uh, and if you don't, I would recommend getting a medical card and growing your own. Absolutely, that's that's good work. Those are good words of advice. And uh, I want to say to you, Nick, stay well, and we'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Um, you know, uh, we're going to talk about a lot in, in the future. So if you're ever, we'll, we'll talk and we'll find a good time so that maybe you could come back on in the future and we could even talk current events or, you know, whatever else. Sometimes we have good discussions on here. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you back on if you're willing. So. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll, we'll definitely touch base uh, again. I plan on being on Champagne at some point, hopefully during a college football season. Uh, so looking forward, and we'll hang out and smoke one. Hell yeah. Yeah, we have, awesome. a, we have a rain check on a smoke sesh from legalization, so we got to make that happen. <laughs> we do. We do. The old uh, Cresco times uh, oh, yeah. when we used to both we used to work there. But no, not anymore, but we'll nope. see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Good talking to you, Nick. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one. You yep. Too. Stay well. Bye. All right, so Nick was a really cool guy. Um, that was an awesome conversation. I hope you guys find, found value in it. Yeah, I, I love catching up with Nick. Um, he's such a interesting person to talk to, and he's got so much experience all across the country that 
it's just really, really cool to hear his insights and, um, you know, his experience and his stories. Yeah. And we definitely plan to have uh, more industry insiders on in the future. Um, I'm already having conversations with a few folks and, um, we're going to have, you know, some exciting guests in the future. Um, but I want to reiterate that this podcast was inspired by community input, um, and your feedback ultimately determines the future of this podcast. So if you ever want to provide some feedback, just go to chillinoynet slash podcast. Um, from there, if you scroll down and click the be heard button, you can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text or write us an email. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Um, I, again, I hope you found value in this conversation and, and learned, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to hear the perspective, um, on how it works in other states. And, um, it really, it really sounds like we've got a lot of room to improve. Um, yeah. but maybe we can, maybe we can do it better, you know? Um, so that's the hope I was trying to, I'm trying to put positive spins on things nowadays. So I am Justine from Canna Queens. You can check out our website. It's cannaqueens.com. That's C-A-N-N-A-K-W-E-E-N-S.com. And over there, we've got a blog. Um, we've got some ways to get in contact with us to uh, get either classes or just get some more information on doing home infusions. And if you have any suggestions or uh, want to team up with me, just send me an email through that website. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, Canna Queens Co. and Facebook. And we are on YouTube if you just search can of queens yeah and i really should have mentioned this earlier but um i'll mention it in a future podcast um you know whatever medium you're listening to that through this now you, you're obviously listening if you hear this right now um but if you're using that medium because we weren't available on spotify well god damn it we're on spotify now um if you heard recently joe rogan signed a 300 million dollar deal well we were holding out on spotify and they offered us a 420 million dollar deal and so um we we decided yes to sign on and um we you know there's not going to be a change in agenda or anything like that they don't uh they will not be dictating uh the script or anything you know so same podcast it's just also available on spotify obviously i'm joking guys um, we're still broke um but um hey maybe one of these days we'll get like a dollar or so but he's um, not joking about being on spotify because we actually are oh yeah i'm yeah, straight up. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and the Google Play Store. Um, our podcast hits SoundCloud first, so if you're wanting to hit it, hear it right off the airwaves, that's where it hits first, and it disperses from there. Um, so thank you for listening once again, guys. I always appreciate your support um, and your feedback. It's always cool to get um, emails in, so I will reiterate that I love your feedback. Send it in. Um, so... Uh, we'll just close out this podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Bye.